Jesus, we recognize His goodness. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, sir. And His mercy. Yes, sir. Toward us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Glory to God. Yes, sir. We know He's worthy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Of all honor and glory. Salvation is by His grace. And for His glory. There's none like Him. We offer praise. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He did it. Yeah. We couldn't glory do it. Glory, glory, glory. He gave it. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. We didn't even want it. That's right. Praise the Lord. But he gave his son in the What shall we say to these things? Since God is for us, who can be against us? Thank you, Lord. I know he's good. You know he's good? He's good right now. We don't have to worry about anything. Thank you, Lord. Because if he didn't spare his own son, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Oh, the choir has warmed my soul. Singing about my Jesus. God bless you. Page six of your programs, you have responsive reading for the text this morning. It's taken from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Well, okay. Let Brother Tim get 10 through 13. <laughs> what am I going to do with Tim Sanford? You know what? If you have your Bibles, okay, if you need an ESV, it should be one in your uh, seat somewhere, okay, I'll read 13, you read 14, I'll read 15, we'll read 16 together, as that. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it together. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Amen. That's the word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful, amazing passage you've given us this morning. It is your word. My aim is to rightly divide the word of truth. So I come to you for grace to do just that, rightly divided, expound upon your word. Heal me, Holy Spirit. Let your word dwell in me richly. Give me grace to preach. Your people are expecting to hear you. 
I am your chosen instrument. I am your voice to your people this morning. Your voice only comes through your word. So I pray for grace to preach. And I pray that you would give them grace to hear. To hear your word. Heavenly Father. Perhaps some need to hear it savingly for the first time in common faith and repentance, trusting in Christ alone, cause them to hear it that way. And others who are saved or like me, we need to hear it sanctifyingly in a way in which we are sanctified and cleansed and we need some more dirt out of us and some more cleansing to our hearts so I pray Heavenly Father for grace to submit to the Lordship of Christ by submitting to the Word of Christ and I pray that you would get glory preaching of your word, and the hearing of your word, and the living out of your word, make us fruitful, Father. Amen. Make us disciple makers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, the theme for this short section, entering kingdom. Entering the kingdom. That's what this is about. Entering the kingdom. This short uh, episode actually continues the theme of the nature and cost of discipleship developed throughout the gospel of Mark particularly beginning at verse 8:31 that runs through chapter 10 verse 52 following the second passion prediction by Christ when he predicts his death the second time in chapter 9 verses 30 and 32 Jesus taught about the humility and sacrifice necessary for authentic discipleship he taught that by using a child as an illustration. You remember that in chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. Here in this passage, he returns to this theme by pointing to the childlike faith necessary to enter the kingdom. Okay. Other connections to the surrounding context are also present here. The, the discussion related to children follows naturally on the discuss, discussion of marriage and divorce running from chapter 10, verse 1 through 12. Women and children were often victims of exploitation and abuse in the ancient world as today, and Jesus' concern for them in these two passages is in line with his teaching elsewhere about defending the cause of the lowly and the outcast. All right, all right. This passage also introduces uh, requirements for entrance into the kingdom of God, a key theme in the episode that, uh, that follows concerning the rich man who didn't want to give up anything. In chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Kingdom of God belongs to those who come to God empty and with childlike faith. But power and riches represent nearly insurmountable obstacles to those wanting to enter in. Chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. So this account should be compared with chapter 9, verses 36 through 
and 37, and there we saw that the child represents any helpless person, but especially a humble fellow disciple which we received by other disciples. But here, children represent characteristics disciples should possess. Are you with me? So crystallizing the point of the passage, we see this. When the disciples rebuke people for bringing their children to be blessed by Jesus, he responds with indignation and insists that children be allowed to come. His argument is the kingdom of God is made up of people like this, meaning those who are lowly and dependent on Christ's all. Mm -hmm. yes. Yes, I want to extract from this passage two points uh, today. First of all, I want you to see this point that is obvious in the text. Jesus receives children into the kingdom. Amen. Jesus receives children into the kingdom. Notice in verse 13, the text reads, And they were bringing children to, to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. First of all, we see parental concern for children. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them. The setting of this account is uh, Perea, most likely in the same house Jesus was in when he was instructing the disciples about marriage and divorce. Remember, Jesus is traveling south toward Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. He's on his way to give his life uh, as a ransom for many. And on his way to the cross, he's pauses to instruct us concerning his love for children and how to enter the kingdom and what does a child have to do with how we enter the kingdom. All right. We see parental concern that bringing children they uh, uh, might mean both dad and mom or extended family and friends that, uh, uh, but, but they're bringing children the word children Remember, it was used in chapter 5, verse 39, of a, of a girl 12 years old. However, the word generally denotes young children. The ages of the children here no doubt varied, including some that were babies in their mother's arms, according to the parallel account in Luke 18 and 15. Parents wanted Jesus to touch their children. Yes, 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 now repeatedly throughout the Gospel of Mark, we have seen people begging Jesus for his touch or, uh, or, or else actively seeking to touch him. You remember there was a woman who had a flow of blood that uh, continued to flow and, and, and she got on her knees in a crowd and, and just sought to touch the hem of his garment. However, we're not told that these children had any specific needs, such as medical problems for which they needed healing. It appears that the children were, were healthy, and the, and the parents simply wanted Jesus to touch them for the sake of his blessing. Yes. I need somebody else in here with me now. Matthew's fuller statement in, in the parallel account in Matthew interprets the character of the desired touch. He says in Matthew chapter 19 verse 13 that he should put his hands on them and pray. Now this was in keeping with a classic Jewish custom which dated really all the way back to the time when the patriarch uh, Israel, Jacob, laid his hands upon the heads of Ephraim and Manasseh and blessed them in Genesis 48, 14. It's, it's the proper, traditional, wonderful thing to do. Proud parents held out their precious children to Jesus who took them in his arms where they snuggled close. Yeah. 
He placed his hands on their warm little heads and lifting his eyes to heaven, pronounced a blessing. We're not talking about salvation right here, okay? They wanted Jesus, the parents wanted Jesus to pray for their children's spiritual well-being, to pray for their children's future, to pray that God would show favor upon them. That's some application here for us parents. Parents should do everything in their power, everything in their power, to ensure that their children are exposed to the gospel. What does that mean? That means bringing them to church on a consistent basis, not here and there. Not based on whether they have a game or not. That game won't happen when Jesus gets back. It means giving them the opportunity to be in Sunday school, to be uh, in Wednesday service, to be to attend vacation Bible school. It means praying for them and with them and opening the Bible with them at home. It means being open about your own faith. It means being consistent in your own life as a believer. It means teaching them that nothing in this world is more important than the Lord and his business. Nothing. There are several ways that we can consistently and actively lead children to, to Christ. You want to know what they are? I, I thought you did. We can evangelize them with a gospel-saturated home. We can disciple them with a Bible-saturated home. We can pray with them in a prayer-saturated home. We can encourage them, bless them, and challenge them. And we must absolutely model for them a Christ-intoxicated life letting them see through us that living for Jesus is the priority over all of life. Jesus loves the little children. He loves the little children of this world. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Yes, sir. Thank you, Lord. Bring your children to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus when you bring them to the Bible. Bring them to Jesus by calling them to faith and repentance. Bring them to Jesus by praying for God to bless them. Bring the baby that's yet unborn. Bring the child with a disability. Bring the child that loves to disobey. Bring them to the Savior who will bless them. Let the children come. That's a sermon in itself. Parental concern. You have to ask yourself this morning, what is my number one priority for my child? You blessed me this morning, Sister Berman, more, more ways than you know. You bless my soul. What is my number one priority for my child? If it's not to bring them to Jesus, then your priorities are screwed up. If anything takes priority over bringing them to Jesus, then don't let anyone convince you and don't try to convince yourself that you're a good parent. You are not. You may be a member of this church, but if that's not your number one priority, don't talk about being a good parent. Come on, man. Come on. Holy no, you're not. No, you're not. I know you're mad at me now. Fine, but you're still not a good parent. You've got to bring them to Jesus. And I just told you some ways how. We see parental concern for... <laughs> And by, by the way, if you haven't been doing that, guess what? God is so gracious that he blessed you to be here this morning to hear this message, to challenge and convict your heart so that you can repent and it's not too late. You know why it's not too late? Because the Bible is the word of God. And the, and the word of God is still powerful. <laughs> and Jesus is still saving that Jesus is still sanctified. So you can repent right there. And 
And Christ is so gracious and he's so faithful. No matter how many years you've gone without bringing them to Jesus, he's saying, okay, what about starting right now? I'm giving you the opportunity right now to start. You don't have to stay, stay the way you are. I preach for obedience, not for entertainment. <laughs> and I got any warriors here. We see the parental concern. Jesus receives children into the kingdom. We see the parental concern for children. Is there a shock in the text? Notice a protecting rebuke of the disciples. Wow. The text says, and the disciples rebuked them. Oh my goodness. Jesus blessed, they rebuked. <laughs> that doesn't sound like following Christ to me. Right? This word rebuke is a very strong term. Don't look over it. It's actually the same uh, uh, Greek word uh, Jesus used when he admonished Peter, rebuked Peter in chapter 8, verse 33. It's also the same word that Jesus used in chapter 1, verse 25, chapter 9, verse 25, when he cast out a demon. It's the same word Mark used to describe a stern warning Jesus issued from, from time to time in chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 8, verse 30. It's a strong word. The word rebuke here means to, to admonish or warn forcefully, expressing strong disapproval. It wasn't that we said, oh, please don't do that. Oh, please don't bother Christ with it right now. They were expressing the strong disapproval over the parents' concern for their children as they brought them to Jesus. They called themselves protecting Jesus. They knew Jesus was under pressure wherever he went. He found conflict one time, demons another time, uh, the religious Pharisees, etc., etc. And if that's not enough, he's always being pressed in, uh, by, by the crowds, crushing in on him. Now here's something to drain him more. Bringing children. Children will cherish gifts Cherish just gifts from God. They are gifts from God, right? Children are a heritage of the Lord, right? But in this society, uh, as well as ours, they were not considered the most valuable members on, uh, of society. In the Roman world, in the Roman world of this time, they had a law where, whereby if a child is born, they didn't want him, they could just trash him with no consequences. Have I got any warriors here? You know, sort of like the ridiculous uh, abortion laws we have on, on the books today. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not preaching politics, I'm preaching Bible. Those, that's ridiculous. I thank God for some of the states that are raising up, standing up for truth. Amen. Flowers. It's been going on for a long time. A long time. And, 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 and according to the society of that day, children just contributed so little. They, they, they ranked low in terms of power and privilege and uh, influence. These children were socially insignificant. So they're commanding too much of the Messiah's attention in view of, in the view of his disciples. Jesus, don't you understand you don't become king by associating with poor, powerless people. Would-be kings desire the favor of the rich and powerful. Don't have time for that. So they thought of themselves as Jesus' handlers, his protectors. So, and, and they began to rebuke parents for, uh, from bringing children to the king. Now, you would think the disciples had learned by now 
they had this attitude of exclusivism and elitism toward this man in chapter 9, verse 38, who was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. They didn't like that. But we see here in the text that the disciples are, are still allowed, still allows the society to form their attitude. I wish I had somebody else here. The context in which they live saw children as unimportant and insignificant. And here they are now rebuking parents for bringing children to Jesus. They're letting the world dictate how they think about children. You know, like some of you who uh, embrace abortion. That's worldly. I wish I had some warriors in here. Well, I went from divorce to getting on something else, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, that's worldly. That's ungodly. Have I got any warriors in this house? Because society says that Christ doesn't. Christ says, let the children come. What do we learn? Well, the kingdom of, of, of God is for all people. Thank you, Lord. It's not for just some. It's for the poor. It's for the meek. For those who mourn. Don't you find it remarkably strange that the disciples of Christ are rebuking parents for bringing children. They have a skewed vision of ministry. Don't let them come. Right? Not, not right now. Many churches have skewed visions of ministry. Because we cater to We cater to the rich and the powerful. An adult confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of his life. We go nuts, a child. Oh, isn't that sweet? Same salvation, same Christ, right? We, we, we're so preferenced to, to, to the powerful and the rich while we despise the weak. It's a shocking response from disciples of Christ. In light of the fact that he had already taught them. He taught them in 9, 36 and 37 about welcoming children. He, 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 he taught in 9, 42 about causing one of these little ones to stumble. And they still don't get it. I wish I had somebody else in here with me. They're still prideful. They're still spiritually insensitive. And they're still slow to learn. You're in the text? All right. Look at the grace that Christ shows you today. Because yeah. uh -huh. many of us are still prideful, still spiritually insistent, still slow to learn. And Jesus keeps on teaching us. He keeps showing mercy and grace toward us. <laughs> I was saying to the men in Sunday school this morning, and I see this in the, in the disciples as well, right here in this text. One of the reasons that we are not spiritually sensitive to others is because we're not walking in the Spirit. Whenever we're not walking in the Spirit, we're not spiritually sensitive to other people. Because when you're walking in the Spirit, the Spirit always enables you to be conformed more and more to the character and the mind of Jesus Christ. And here's Jesus Christ right here. Here's his, his disciples. Who do you think is walking in the Spirit? So sometimes we miss the opportunity to meet needs because we're walking in the flesh and not in the Spirit. When you're walking in the Spirit, you become sensitive. To the needs of other people. Anybody in here with me? 
Preach. It's tight, but it's all right. <laughs> so they call themselves trying to protect Jesus when they're not protecting him at all. They're in sin. They're insensitive. They're prideful. They still have this elitism attitude. They're still looking down on others. They still think they're in a class all by themselves. Well, what do you think, Jesus, about their rebuke from the parents, of the parents? What do you think about that, Jesus? Well, disciples are seeking to protect. And in verse 14, we see a protecting response from the Savior. Notice what it says here. I'm not making it up. It's in the text. But when Jesus saw it, saw what? He saw what they were doing. He was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Stop right there. Now, what do you think about Jesus right here? Is he a little mad? Is he real angry? Is he just saying, okay, guys, let's not do that. Yeah, I know that I'm on my way to Jerusalem, but let's let this happen. Let me give you the meaning of this word. For indignant, translated indignant. Indignant. This verb here is a very strong word. It means angry, irate, outraged. That's what it means. It means to vent oneself and express displeasure. He's angry. He's very angry. He's outraged. He's ticked real bad. He's mad. He's angry, but it's righteous anger. He's angry, but his anger is, is controlled anger. It's godly anger. This word is used in several other texts. It describes the reaction of the scribes and the Pharisees, for example, to the children in the temple. Who were, who were hailing Jesus as the Messiah in Matthew 21, 15. It, it describes the reaction of the other 10 disciples to the request that John and James made for the chief seats in chapter 10 here, verse 41. It describes the reaction of some present when a woman anointed Jesus with this expensive perfume in chapter 14 of Mark, verse 4. It describes the reaction of a synagogue official when Jesus healed on the Sabbath in Luke 13, 14. Jesus is seriously agitated, very angry at the disciples and the way they're treating children. Notice he doesn't rebuke the parents. The disciples were the sole target of his rebuke because of their wrong assumptions and their misunderstanding of scripture. Now this tells us a great deal about Jesus, doesn't it? Because the object of a person's anger reveals a great deal about the person. Right. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, oh yeah, what upsets you quickly and gets you angry quickly, it tells us a great deal about you. Right? See, Jesus' displeasure here, his anger reveals his compassion, his defense for the helpless, for the vulnerable, for the powerless. It shows the greatness of his love for these children. It shows how gentle he was because if he wasn't gentle, the parents would not be bringing children to him. Amen. These children are drawn coming to Jesus because he's so full of compassion, full of love for them. They can see it. And his anger reveals his love, his compassion. What he gets angry about, he gets angry about the same thing that his father gets angry about, the same thing that the spirit gets angry about. He gets angry about the trying to hinder those 
from coming and you think you're better. Well, have I got any warriors in this house? Jesus invited them to come. And he said to the disciples, in his anger, let them come. Let the children come. Do not hinder, hinder them. That's a devil command. A devil command. He wants to make sure he puts that end to their interference. Let them come and don't hinder them. Let's make sure that we're clear on what I want here. You let them come and you don't hinder them. That word led is an heiress imperative. It means permit, to allow. It's an authoritative command demanding, not asking, demanding that they permit the children at once to come to have continued access to him. Let them come. Then he says, do not hinder them. That means, literally means stop hindering them. I can see the disciples putting out their restraining hands. But Jesus says, that needs to cease now. <laughs> wow. What a Savior. What a Savior. That not only has time, but demands his time with babies. I don't know what to say about Jesus. Jesus blows my mind. Oh my goodness. Jesus says to all parents this morning, he says to his church, yes, it is, it is worthwhile. It is a blessing to take time with children. Have I got any warriors here? It's a blessing to take time with children. May we pause and just thank God for our Sunday school teachers that teach children, for our, our youth that are water teachers that take time week after week and teach children. Don't think you're in the small ministry that has no significance. Don't you know that the church is being kept through your teaching because the future of the church lies in the children growing up to know Christ? Thank God for you. This is why parents and teachers, we have to teach children to worship, to pray, to yes, read the Bibles, and yes, call them to faith in Christ. Yes, this is where we're right here. But if you fail to do these things, indirectly, you're hindering them. Yes. Let me be clear. To show you from verse 13 what it means to bring children to Jesus. It's a home ministry, and the church's ministry flows out of the home ministry. If you're not doing that, then you're hindering them by what you are not doing. Maybe you say, Well, I just don't think I'm called to be a parent. Do you have a child? If you have a child, you're called. Come on now. Yeah. Amen. If you have a child, you have a responsibility. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe you say, well, I didn't mean for that to happen. Well, God did. Yeah. Amen. Give them life. Pastor. Yes, sir. Amen. And I certainly don't mean God did in the fact in the act in a, in a sinful act. Children are a heritage of the Lord. Yes, sir. And God is the one that yes. creates and births them into the womb. Yes, sir. Right? Yes, Lord. So, you see the disciples and you turn up your nose because 
they're actively doing this. Well, if you're withholding the word of God and praying for them and being the parent God has called you to be, you're doing the same thing they're doing, just in a different way. Because Jesus said, let them come. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. He's saying to you this morning, parents, let them come. Yes, yes. It doesn't simply mean let them come to church. Well, you notice parents are bringing them, they're not asking them if you want to come. Jesus receives children into the kingdom. Let me go, let, let, let me go on, okay? Ooh, boy, my soul is on fire. Jesus requires childlike faith. Jesus requires childlike faith to enter the kingdom. That's the verses 14 through 16. Notice what it says there. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Underscore, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So how do we come with childlike faith? I want you to notice three things. First of all, we come helpless and hopeful. We come helpless and hopeful. Notice what he says, to such means ones like this. I'm not going to go into some of the different arguments I read concerning this passage. <laughs> the kingdom of God belongs to those who are childlike in their faith. This is very similar, as I stated earlier, to chapter nine, verses 37, and 38. Now, it certainly does not mean innocent, gentle, or pure, because children are sinners. Right? Children were not viewed this way in the ancient world, and uh, the Bible doesn't view children as innocent, gentle, or pure. David says, I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. I came out of the womb twisted. Right? What's it mean? It means small, insignificant, needy, and without social status. Those who come in complete dependence on God. Jesus was not thinking here of children per se, but the qualities they typify. The spirit of receptivity, dependence, and trustfulness. The kingdom of God is composed of those who possess these childlike characteristics. So the children here actually provide a representative picture of simple trust and dependence. Stay with me. Jesus, you see the unique authority of Christ today? Notice how he correlates the kingdom of God with himself. Let the children come to me. To me. And do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying, in coming to him, they're coming to the kingdom of God because the present reign of the kingdom starts in him. You're keeping up with the apologetics and preaching the defense for the deity of Christ. There's another one. Because only a king can say, the only way you can enter, you must come to me. Only a king who is God can say that. Jesus says, children are the kind people who obtain the kingdom. We see them coming to Jesus, but how did they get there? They got to depend on somebody else. Mm -hmm. 
confidence, some hope, and some expectation. <laughs> yes, sir. They come, they, they don't know all they need. That's right. But they know they need the help of another. And they're hopeful that they will receive the help of another. They come small. They come helpless. They come powerless. They have no clout, no standing. They bring nothing to the table but empty hands. This is so appropriate, isn't it? Because you can't feel hands that are not empty if they're already full. It's clear for a person to be saved, no matter who you are this morning, you must humble yourself before God. You must be willing to lay down your prideful life that you've been living and lay down all of your achievements. Don't bring those to the table. You must acknowledge that you are a sinner before God. You must be willing to admit that you cannot attain the righteousness of God through your works. You must come to a place just like a little child Trusting God to do everything because you are helpless without Him. You are hopeless without Him, but you are everything with Him. Come helpless, but come hopeful. Everybody got any warriors? When the Lord saved me, I was helpless, but I was hopeful. Glory to God. Because I had seen what he could do yes. in Eddie R. Jack's life. Yeah. Yeah. I had seen what he could do in my mother's life. Right. Randy was saved before I was. So I had seen what he could do in Randy's life. Yes. I came helpless, but I came hopeful. Yes, sir. That's the second thing, it's in verse 15. You come with childlike faith, you come first of all helpless and hopeful, right? Amen. Just come on this morning. Yes, sir. I don't know who I'm talking to. That's right. All right. All right. But just come on this morning. Yes, sir. Put your trust in Jesus. Yes. So pastor, I'm helpless. That's who he likes. Just come on this morning. I'm telling you, there's hope. There's assurance. There's a present and a future. You just come on to Jesus this morning. And by the way, for those of you who have come, you're still helpless. Because Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. So that brings us to our, our, our second point. What's the second way they come? We come trusting and dependent. I'm not making it up. I promise you it's in verse 15. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter, enter it. Jesus prefaces his words, truly. In other words, Jesus says, this is something of great importance. You better listen Here, the pronouncement in verse 15 actually reiterates and expands the point made in verse 14 along with a warning. Those who fail to receive the kingdom of God in a childlike way will certainly not enter. Jesus now explains why the kingdom of God belongs to those who are childlike. childlike. This, a, this is a devilly dogmatic statement, devilly emphatic. Truly I say to you, that's his introduction. Then he has this uh, emphatic negative at the end. Whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child will certainly not enter it. We see the essence of salvation and of the gospel right here. To receive the kingdom like a child means by faith and in complete dependence upon God. Yes, sir. Follow me. I'm going somewhere with this verse. Well, I went somewhere with the last few. Look at the word receive. 
must be accepted or received as a gift. It's not a human achievement. It's never gained on the basis of human merit. To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, no claim. A child has absolutely nothing to bring. And whatever the child receives, he or she receives by grace on the basis of sheer neediness rather than any merit inherent in him or herself. Right? What you bring to the table, my needs? <laughs> if anything is characteristic of children, especially babies like the ones that were being brought to Jesus, is their total dependence on other people for what they need. How do they come into the world, helpless? Listen, it takes years before a child is able to look after his, his, own, his or her own daily needs. The parents have to dress the children, feed the children, change their children, hold their children. You have to have them in all kind of, kind of ways. And guess what you have to do the next day? You have to turn around and do that all over again the very next day, day after day. And what do the children do? They simply receive what they are given. Babies are so needy in their dependence that all they can do is receive whatever food or clothing or protection anyone offers. Yes, yes, yes. Have you noticed something with babies? They never say to you, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Let me do it myself. Have I got any warriors? They just receive. Hey, glory. Lord, they just receive whatever is given to them to meet their needs. That's how we must come to God. Don't say, hold up, Jesus, let me do it myself. Just receive the gift. Don't try to get good enough. Just receive the gift. Don't start trying to make your life better. Just Receive the gift. Your need is uh, that you need salvation because the wrath of God abides on you. He comes with the gift. Just open your hands and receive it. Right? That's how we have to come. What's it mean to receive the kingdom? Well, it means love to submit to the authority of, of the rule and the reign of Christ over your life. Isn't it interesting that we say children need to be like adults but spiritually speaking in terms of spiritual characteristics Jesus says no adults you need to be like children. Yeah. <laughs> because you know, you, 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 we think we got power and authority now power and authority starts clashing with the authority of God. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's not good, is it? <laughs> no, Jesus says, you, you, you have to come and submit in repentance and faith in Christ alone, depending on Christ alone to meet your needs and you with a hungry heart receive the grace that Christ offers to helpless sinners like you and me. Just receive it. Right? Yes, sir. <laughs> this is serious. Because whoever does not receive the kingdom like this child, the king says you're not entering. Wow. You're not entering at all. Right. You don't receive it as a gift. You exclude it from the kingdom. We notice here in, in the text the kingdom is both received and entered. 
see that? There's two ideas that run side by side throughout the Bible. It's both, both received and entered. The blessings of the kingdom, which is, just means salvation, are to be received as a gift. But we enter through faith. <laughs> Don't we? Trusted in Christ alone. And notice also, we receive the kingdom now, coming into the kingdom under the rule and reign of Christ, submitting to his lordship over our lives, being saved, becoming a disciple of Christ. But the kingdom has a right now and not yet to it. Right? Because we love, uh, the, the kingdom is present and future. It's already in, not yet. It, it was inaugurated uh, in Jesus' proclamation in chapter 1, verse 15, when he said, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but it will be consummated in the future when we enter into the kingdom. <laughs> There's a future time Jesus already spoke of in chapter 9, verse 1, and Jesus says, I long for the day. When I can drink the fruit of the vine new with you Amen. in my father's kingdom. Yes, yes. Right? So the kingdom begins with Jesus' ministry, is consummated at his return. So we have a present possession and a future hope. Yes. Don't you want that? Yes. Who wouldn't want that? Amen. <laughs> wow. I'm trusting. Come dependent on Christ alone, trusting in Christ alone, relying on the person and work of Christ alone, relying on who he is and what he did because that is the only way you can gain acceptance is acceptance in the beloved Christ, Ephesians 1.6. Yes. Lastly, oh by the way, how do we come? We come helpless and hopeful, right? We come trusting and dependent. Third, verse 16. We come for affection and blessing. <laughs> Jesus is not done. You know, verse 16 comes after verse 15. Did you know that? After that statement, what did he do? The text says, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying hands, laying his hands on them. Will you look at your Savior? So I close this message. Will you look at your Savior and my Savior? He picked up the children. What a picture of the amazing gospel of grace. He is tender, he's affectionate to those who bring nothing to him but their need. Jesus is not the kind of person that says, I've got to do everything for you. No, Jesus is saying the kind of person that says, I want to do everything for you. <laughs> or better stated, Jesus is the kind of person to say, at Calvary, I did everything for you. I better leave that alone. I never think this was. Look at the actions of Christ. Why were they bringing their children in verse 13? They wanted him to touch them. Right? But look, they get more than a touch. Oh my goodness. He picked those babies up in his arms. Is there any better place for your children? Is there any better place for us? He laid his hands on them and, and blessed them. And, 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 and I want you to picture the scene now. They were bringing their children. It, it wasn't one or two people. It was a line. It was a line of people. They bring their children. 
Jesus picks them up, lays his hands on them, and bless them. One by one, yield to his embrace. One by one, the child yield to his embrace, and he blessed them. That 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 compound verb blessed here. You know what it means? It means fervently bless. What the text is saying that Jesus blessed these children with a fervent heart. Now understand, there were several components of the Hebrew blessing. Several components. One, a meaningful touch. Two, a spoken word. Three, attaching high value. High value, excuse me. Four, picturing a special future. Five, active commitment. Look at Jesus. He fulfilled all five components. He picked up and held the children. He spoke a word of blessing over them. He attached high value to their intrinsic worth. And he may have even spoken prophetic words for future service in God's kingdom. And he made an active commitment to see the blessing fulfilled. So I don't see that in the text. I know it's at the cross. Love me like Jesus. 
He is my friend. That's right. Glory to God. Glory. We come for affection and blessing. Oh, just to be known by Jesus. Glory to God. Glory. Oh, beloved, you don't know what I'm talking about this morning. I invite you. I urge you. I call you with the external call. Oh, put your trust. Depend solely on Christ this morning for your salvation. I'm not talking to people that are not members. The majority are members. If you are a member and you don't know what I'm talking about. I know I'm I know him. I know the conviction of the spirit in my sin and turning my heart. Turning me in repentance and faith. And I, I, I know the joy of that. Thank you, Lord. That's the affection. You know, little babies, they can't do very much, can they? They can't do very much. They can't. They can't do very much. That sweet little baby Talia is holding back there. <laughs> I saw her. And she took my heart right out of my chest. <laughs> the last Sunday I was holding her. You know what she kept doing? I had my hand holding her. <laughs> And she kept trying to just grab hold. Mm -hmm. Amen. I wish somebody was in here with me. Yes, sir. To my finger. You know, they, they can't do very much. They just can't do very much. But, 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 but I noticed this about little babies. They like to grab hold. Oh, to the one holding. I wish I had somebody. He's holding on to you. 